Bibles, and we're turning to Psalm 119, and we're looking at uh, verses 41 through 48, the next section, which is the sixth section, the sixth letter of the alphabet, which is, uh, looks like wall to us, but actually it's uh, uh, V-A-V, but um, uh, depends on the Germanic or the English way of, of, of that word, but of, obviously it's Hebrew. But it's, a, it's interesting, these letters in Hebrew, how do they have significance that ours don't like. Beth means house, but it also is a letter. Uh, hey, uh, was, um, had the idea of uh, what? Of, um, of, um, of asking, of that, you know, say, Lord, help us to... Uh, uh, you know, cause me, I'm sorry, that's, it, that's the word I'm looking for, cause me to do this, cause me to do that. And now, and we saw in the previous section that uh, he was talking, Lord, there's something deeper I want to find in Scripture. It's not just I want to read it, but I want to understand. And the key word there was understanding. I, I want to understand, and of course, understand is the why. Why do you have this here? And how does it apply to me? And how does it uh, work in my life? And so it's not enough just to know it, but what's that deeper meaning to it? I want to really understand what you're saying to me and saying to us as we look into the word. And then the letter wa or a valve or a valve or however they say it is um is a it's a conjunctive um, and uh with that with this we see that it's there's very few words in uh the hebrew alpha uh, hebrew language that start with this letter it's kind of like x-ray you know or x you're not going to get too many words out of x but it's used for a lot of things. And when you put an X out there, it means you've X'd out something or whatever. So it's a symbol of omission as well as a letter. And so this letter is more of a, is kind of a conjunctive. It's uh, whenever it's mentioned, and it's, of course, or when it's used, and it's used uh, all eight times in these verses. Um, and when it's used, uh, it, then it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of a continuation of the former. And the former was, Lord, I really want to understand. And now we see that I, I really want to know about your power. I want to know, Lord, I want to uh, cause me to do this. But in causing me, you're going to have to give me the power to do it. So it's kind of a, you know, even though they are separate sections, they are conjunctive in the fact that they, that the psalmist is pulling them together. So yeah, I really want to know beneath the surface of what you're saying. But now I also want to know about the power, that inward change that you say happens. And of course, we know that happens through the word. It reminds me of, uh, I've mentioned her several times and I've got to, I've never bought one of her books yet, but I've got to go back and, uh, but she's got a fantastic testimony by that Rosaria uh, Butterfield. And she said, she just got into the word and started reading it. Uh, but she was, uh, of course, a, an English scholar and uh and at one of the Ivy League schools, and she just started reading it, and she noticed it was changing her thought life. And of course, she got saved, and now she really advocates reading, just reading by volume. I mean, don't just read a couple of verses, but get into it, and then meditate on what you're reading. And it changed her from being a, 
just a radical feminist and to a, a lady who's, you know, when you say feminist, this almost sounds like, uh, you know, if you're anti, am I anti-feminist? No, I'm, I really want women to excel. I mean, if I didn't, you know, but uh, so in that case, I'm a feminist, but uh, I mean, or I want to be, you know, but uh, as far as the way it's defined today, that is not what we're talking about. Politically, I'm not a feminist, but culturally, I want to be a feminist. Does that make sense? I want ladies to be happy. I want ladies to, to excel. And don't I want everybody to excel? So uh, there again, but the only way we're going to do it, but man or a woman, is to, to be in the Word. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, Lord, change me through this Word. Show me not only what you mean, but show me the power. Not cause me, but Lord, I mean, I want to see and cause me to do it, but I need to see that power in my life. And so as we begin reading, he says, uh, and let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty. I will seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Your hands will I, excuse me, my hands, I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. And so we see that he is concerned. He says, Lord, uh, I want to see this power. We talk about it but I want to be changed from within. Calls me, yes, but Lord, give me the power. I realize that all this comes from you. Uh, they talk about total depravity, and there again, definitions. Uh, the, how far is it my will, and how much is it that God even gives me the will to have a will? And people get into, you can't do anything without God. And that's true, but if you take it too far, you get into fatalism. Que sarah, sarah, you know, we really don't have a will, it's all God. No, God's given us a will. And so uh, uh, there, where does God's will end and mine begin? Or, or where do they mesh? I don't think either one ends, or I don't think God's will ends, but where does it mesh with mine? And so we see then that he is saying, first of all, there's benefits in knowing the, or knowing the great benefits that God reveals in his word. And of course, this whole 165 verses deal with the benefits or knowing the Word of God and all the different eight different ways that uh, the Word of God is talked about. And so we see, he says, let your mercies, first of all, then the benefits is in verse, first two, uh, first three verses. He says, let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Now, again, we've said that word mercies is used a hundred or well over a hundred times in the book of or in the Old Testament. It's translated tender mercies, loving kindness. It carries with it the idea of a covenant love. Uh, and of course, when God makes a covenant with us, his, he never breaks it. It's impossible for God to lie. But so the mercies that God gives us is that loyal love. And it's not just holding back 
from punishment, but this idea of loving us in spite of who we are. It's, uh, we've talked about it many times, like a mother's love. Yes, you get frustrated with a child, but it doesn't mean you don't love them. And so even though you might have to correct them, it doesn't mean that you don't love them. And sometimes you have to be very severe, like the Lord is, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. And so the mercies of the Lord, that loyal love, that loving kindness, those things that you do for us as a father would to his children. And what did the Lord say? He said, uh, you fathers, knowing how to be uh, fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more do I know how to give good gifts to them that love me? And so again, we see that it's the idea that God wants to pour out his mercies upon us, to pour out his love upon us. And so, but then the word mercies, notice, and there again, that's one of those uh, ways of the uh, Hebrew uses. When it's multiplied, then it's heaped on top of each other. Kind of like Elohim is plural. Now, some people say, okay, that's the Trinity, but it also means just all power. It's power heaped on upon, upon power. Well, when you see the word mercies, it's mercy heaped upon mercy. It's multifaceted mercies that God has. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And we know that's in Psalms. And so we see that uh, the mercies that God pours out upon us. And sometimes we have to just stop and, and think about them. All the, not only uh, saving grace, but uh, the mercy as far as, I mean, I don't deserve what I, God's giving me. And I certainly deserve some of the things that he hasn't given me uh, in punishment and so forth. And so I see that the God has greatly blessed me and all kinds of mercies that I don't deserve. All kinds of blessings that he's poured out upon me. And so, Lord, help me to meditate on those. Help me to, help me to appreciate them. It's kind of like a parent saying, you know, you really don't, won't know until you're a parent what I have been doing for you. Isn't that, been, isn't that true sometimes? We didn't really understand what our parents did for us until we had to do it for our children. And we realized all of a sudden, oh, I didn't really understand, you know, I really didn't appreciate what my parent or someone else who had a great influence in my life, I think of a man right now just popped in my mind. A man who wrote to me, he'd write me two and three page letters in my early ministry. I'm thinking now, that man was very busy and he would take time out of his, out of his day to write me a three-page letter just to encourage me along in the ministry. And I say, have I done that for others? You know, just uh, so other people have shown me that loyal love. And Lord, you have just poured out your blessings, your mercy. And that was mercy. The Lord even gave me a friend like that. And so we see that God heaps mercies upon us. And that, that word hesed, as we see there. Then the word salvation. The, your salvation, according to your word. Salvation is more than, again, it's like mercy. Mercy is more than just withholding judgment. Well, salvation is more than just saving a person from hell. It is the idea, he, we sing that song, he saved me and made me whole. Uh, the Greek word sozo carries with it the idea, yes, saving, you know, saving, but, but also of wholeness, of completeness, of doing something for us. I mean, completing us as far as everything he, he wants us to have. 
So it's not just uh, the saving us from the consequences of sin, but it's also the fullness that God wants to have his, for his children to have. What did the Lord say? I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more completely, abundantly. So God wants us to have that fullness of life, that fullness of the uh, uh, full to overflowing, the, that rivers of mercy, the uh, uh, like a river glorious is God's perfect. You're talking about rivers of God's grace out of his belly shall flow, flow, flow forth that uh, grace overflowing in our lives. God wants us to have that. God wants you to have that. You know, we go through life so many times just always, it's just so hard, and man is born for troubles as sparks fly upward. And boy, we just really, uh, we don't really appreciate what God's done for us. And that's one reason uh, Paul alone, uh, besides the other people, 27 times in his writings, tells us to rejoice, to give thanks, to always abound in the work of the Lord, uh, wanting to praise God for who he is. Rejoice evermore. The idea of when we, are th when we are thanking God for what he has done, then what happens, it will surprise you what God has done. Once you start praising God, oh yeah, and I, like I said just a few moments ago, something popped in my mind about some mercy that somebody showed me back years ago. Well, that's what's made me today. Well, Lord, help me not only to praise you for it, but also, Lord, make me better and help me to do that with others, that rivers of mercy flowing through me. Uh, so, Lord, as others have helped me and as you've helped me, then, oh, I want to be a blessing to others. And that's what the Word of God should do, shouldn't it? It's not for us to have a repository in our lives. It's a, for us to be soaked up and squeezed out as a sponge, as a river, as whatever you, uh, type of uh, metaphor you want to take. But it's the idea that God wants to work in you and to, and to, and to me uh, that overflowing grace that others see. He left us here for, with a mission, and that is to, to, uh, to tell, of course, to get others saved. So we see that uh, uh, there's benefits, both there's the mercies, which is that loyal love. There's that salvation, which is the completeness of life that... Uh, I've learned in all things therewith to be content. There's that happiness. There's joy. There's that completeness. Uh, not just a hollow feeling inside, but knowing that God is using you. And so this is, we see, first of all, then uh, the, there's the benefits. But then also there's the defense or the answers. We call it apologetics. But uh, I want to always be ready to give an answer. So he says, so shall I answer uh, I have an answer for him who reproaches me. And there again, let's go back over those words. Those word, that word reproach is the idea of someone looking down their nose at you. Is the idea of disdain or disapproval, disapproval or of the unbelievers. It's a scorn. It's a derision. It's a, a you know, you're a Bible thumper. You're, you know, a holy roller. You're all these different things. And of course, if they can do something physically, they'll do that too. Uh, it really surprises me. Sometimes whenever and we got, and I've just noticed a couple of people that call themselves Christians in Washington today, and the vehemence of those who uh, think, I mean, they just come out against those people saying, they're trying to take us back into a, you know, to uh, 
a theocracy and they're wanting us to be like Iran and all this where a bunch of holy mullahs rule us. Uh, 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 rule us. And of course, that's not the case at all. Uh, oh, you're a Christian, you know, so, oh yeah, you're a Christian just like so-and-so is and I know that's the worst hypocrite in the world. And they always just want to tear you down. And of course, many of them are disillusioned. Many of them have gone to church before and, uh, and for some reason, some of them have even uh, called themselves Christians, but then they have been disillusioned or angered and now they've fallen away from the Lord. And one of the things that really frightens me is the generation now that I have taught in high schools and as a teacher, and now I've had children of my own, and now they're up old enough to have children of their own, and many of them are falling away from God. And they've been disillusioned, and rightfully so, or they've been shaken, they shouldn't be disillusioned, by the sins of their fathers, uh, or the, the generation ahead, or the shortcomings, or the things that they were promised that didn't quite pan out the way that they should be. And so we have not been perfect in our teaching. We haven't been perfect in a lot of things. Uh, one of the things is you know, that uh, they look at, if you'll do this, this, and this, that you'll be happy the rest of your life. Well, that's overselling. You know, we didn't teach our children that, uh, or, or excuse me, we didn't teach the next generation that uh, life can be tough. And you're not always going to get what you want. Sometimes we did. We, you know, uh, just trust the Lord and you'll be happy, happy, happy all the time. Well, all of a sudden, uh, they're not happy. Oh, you just keep yourself uh, clean and pure and all that. And you'll have the happiest marriage. And then all of a sudden you see people that get married and they fall apart. I got a friend, another friend popped in my mind. Uh, very good man, raised wonderful children. And uh, I mean, you could uh, example and so forth, but uh, there again, um, his daughter informed that he and his, uh, she and her husband just got a, agreed to part ways. You can imagine what that did to it. And here she's been through, you know, Christian school, Christian college, all these different things. And now they're just going to leave each other. And oh, and of course this is the generation. But then again, if you talk to that, lady, I'm sure she'd do it. Well, I know so-and-so and, -so and I didn't, and boy, they said that this is going to happen. Or if I got married, everything's going to be great. And boy, it was a pits. And so sometimes they get very disillusioned. And then they, of course, then they uh, have the appeal of the world. And the world looks like they're having a lot of fun. And by the way, I messed up on my, um, my I conflated a couple of stories uh, Sunday night, and uh, it always embarrasses me when I go back and uh, and look at some mistakes I'm making my messages. But I talked about Charles Weigel, and Charles Weigel actually uh, he was a song leader and a, an evangelist, uh, and his wife did leave him. That was all right, all correct. But it was only two or three years later that his wife had really just gone off the deep end. But then she developed cancer or developed something from all of the the diseases of being out in the, road, the streets or whatever. And he did think about going out and committing suicide during that time, but it wasn't in his grandchildren. I think I made it later on in his life. I conflated that with another man. But uh, basically, you know, you wrote that song, uh, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Well, he had a wife that got disillusioned. 
And then what? And what happens when people get disillusioned and the younger generation gets disillusioned? Many times they go way too far on the other side. I think of another girl that uh, she was a daughter of a faculty members at the school I went to. Fabulous family, and my wife and I have uh, had them over. We entertained them. They uh, fantastic speak. Uh, uh, singers and so forth had uh, their children were a little older than ours but we took them to Bellingrath Gardens together one time all that well their daughter got disillusioned and now she's up in her 40s or whatever and uh, now she has gone so against Christianity that now she is if uh, she has I was reading something where she has allied herself with one of these gay websites and talk bad about the schools you went to. I mean, it's one thing. I, dis I have a disagreement with the people, but if I disagree with you, then I don't want to get to the point that I will side with the devil's crowd to destroy you. If I disagree with you, I will, Lord, let's just, uh, you know, let's keep it in the house if we can. But as long as you're preaching the gospel, I'm going to be like Paul, and that is uh, Christ is preached and I will rejoice. Yeah, I will rejoice. You can just hear Paul gritting his teeth about some of the people that were using his name and all that. And yet he said, if they preach Christ, I'm going to rejoice. I'm not going to go trying to tear them down. And how sad it is to see that the internet has given just a, a venue for destruction. If, you, if I don't like somebody, I can destroy them. And I'll team up with anybody who wants to help me destroy that person. And that's so sad to see that today. And uh, there's uh, several of those websites out there that uh, I, over the years, and I don't try to try to stay off of them, but uh, over the years, uh, you can get on the two or three websites and anything you want to find bad about anybody with any name, uh, sometimes I've even searched for my name. It's one of those things where there's, there's something on the internet or some advertising now that they'll search for you to see whatever's said about you. Well, you can imagine if I had, I mean, if this goes out, and Rob has even talked to me at times, he said, you know, you've said some things that could be quite con controversial on the internet. Well, so be it if it's the word of God. You know, uh, and if people want to attack me and use the devil's crowd to attack me, then, then that's... That's just, you know, I can't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And as long as I haven't said some foot and mouth thing that I can be destructive, then uh, we're going to leave it there. And so if I do, though, then I definitely want to go back and correct it. So it's one of those things where, you know, Lord, give me an answer for the hope that lies within me. You know, Lord, help me with these people. Why? Because these reproaches... He says, I trust in your word. There, you know, so we see that the benefits of his word. Um, and it, of course, in First Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 15, he says, And be not afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's a mouthful. But he's saying, Lord, you know, don't let other people intimidate me, but may I very boldly and proudly in a godly pride, and that is not pride of my, for myself, but pride in my Savior, 
I'd like you to be proud of your mother or dad, but of course of your heavenly father, and that I don't want to be ashamed of him, but that I have an answer for the hope that lies within me, but to do it the right way with meekness and fear. So Lord, there I need the understanding. That's the prior section, but I also need the power. I need the power, that inner quality, that strength that I don't shrivel up under pressure or under the fear of embarrassment or scorn of others that are looking down their noses at me. And of course, that's one of the most difficult and most powerful emotion, negative emotions, is that fear of rejection, that fear of scorn, that just sneering um, uh, situation that can happen. And so, uh, again, that's the Lord help me to overcome that with a rock solid confidence in you. So, and I trust, and notice there it is, confidence in your word. Now, with that, he says, and here, the third thing then is verse 43 is we see that he has hope because in verse 43, he says, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth for I have hoped in your ordinances. Now, he is not, he, will God take the word of truth out of our mouth? What he is saying here is, as a, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So Lord, I got to keep my heart right. And oh, Lord, help me to keep my heart right that my mouth speaks right. And so the idea is I fear that I'll quit. And that's the one thing I don't want to do. It's like I've talked about, uh, man, I'm discipling now. I won't mention him on the internet. But uh, again, uh, he is saying, you know, the one thing, boy, I'm so excited about God and I'm, I'm so excited and we're working together. He says, I don't want that to ever leave me. Well, that's the idea. It's, you know, Lord, keep it strong in my life. I want this, this desire. I want this great love for you. And so I trust in, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm expecting, I've, I've hoped in your ordinances, I've seen they've been good. And of course, one of the three things, faith, hope, and love. And you see all four of those, all three of those are in this. You know, I've trusted in your word, that's faith. I have hope in your ordinances, and we're going to see how that he loves them. And so that's what our whole Christianity is built on, is faith, hope, and love. And so he says, I have hoped in your ordinances. I have expected you in the past, and I've seen that you've been true. And so I have tested you and found that you are faithful. Have you trusted the Lord with all your heart? And have you found him to be faithful? I'm not talking about man. The arm of flesh will fail you. And that's the one, great, the one of the greatest fears I have in the ministry is that I'm going to be the one that causes someone to be disillusioned. That I'm going to be such a flunky or a failure that people say, man, you know, there's just another Christian or another preacher. And the higher, the, you know, whatever God gives me, whatever responsibility he gives us, that's the one thing I don't want to do is to cause others to fall. A stumbling block. And so we see it there that, Lord, take not the word of truth out of my mouth. I mean, I mean, I say it, but when people hear it, they know it's from my heart. And they're not saying, oh, yeah, he says one thing and does another. But um, an awakening spirit wants to continue in the graces of God. And, if, if, and that's um, where Paul's, you know, that was Paul's great desire. Remember what he said, I keep my body under lest by any means while I'm preaching to others, I myself might become a castaway. 
Oh, Lord, help me from being a castaway. That's 1 Corinthians 9, 7, 27, as we see. And I like what Spurgeon says here. He who once preached the gospel from his heart is filled with a horror at the idea of being out, uh, put out of the ministry. He will crave to be allowed a little share in holy testimony and will reckon his silent Sabbaths to be days of banishment and punishment. That's a, you know, of course, a, that's 18th century language saying that he just, you know, a preacher doesn't want to be put out to pasture. Uh, you could ask my wife, the two times that we've been between ministries, um, she shot us. Well, I better be careful. I was going to say she should have shot me, but uh, no, <laughs> she didn't have a gun. But, you know, I mean, I just get irritated. I want to preach. I want to be here. You know, I don't retire. What's retiring? You know, I don't want to retire. I want to I want to keep going because that's, you know, God's called me and there's no retirement until you get to heaven. Now, if God allows me to uh, get a couple million dollars, I might say goodbye. No, I won't, but you know, <laughs> but uh, no, I threw it all on the line. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't save up. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to repair, prepare for a little bit of retirement or whatever. But uh, I know in retirement, I got to keep preaching. I got to keep teaching. Because if I don't, I'm going to be one miserable person. Because it's in me. That's called me. And that's one of the ways that you can tell whether you are called into the ministry or not. If you can do I like what someone said one time, if you can do anything else, do it. And I've tried to do other things. And there were a couple of times, you can ask my wife, okay, I'm going to get into this business. And I got, and I, and I initially pretty successful, but then I get frustrated and it never pans out, and God wouldn't let it pan out, and boy, you know, it just, it was bad. And so uh, there have been a couple of times I just, okay, Lord, if you let me get this business going, this, uh, the ministry is gone, and the Lord wouldn't let me. And I praise the Lord for that, because this is where I'm happy. You know, Lord, uh, I'll, I'll preach, you just give me somebody to preach to. And so it doesn't, you know, I found out that it doesn't take a crowd to have fun. You know, just let God have his word. And so we see again, uh, that, but there again, shouldn't a Christian feel that way? Any Christian? I mean, I've been called to, to, to be a pastor, but you've been called to preach too, to proclaim the word of God. So shouldn't it be something we want to do? I like it when people say, Pastor, Miss Sunday, but I feel so strange not being here or not working for, praise the Lord, when God's calling you into the ministry. And that's the way it should be. Christians should have a hunger to be doing God's word and serving God, as we saw they that wait on the Lord uh, Sunday morning. Um, both uh, waiting patiently, but waiting as a waiter or a waitress or ladies in waiting or whatever else they call a man. And those are, I never did figure that one out. I should go back, you know, it's one of those things, ladies in waiting, but what do they call the guy that take care of the king? Somebody find that out for me. But, you know, um, uh, so, um, but there again, I, I want to serve my Lord. I want to serve my king. And so uh, whatever he wants me to do, what, no matter how small the job is, I mean, just to serve the king is a privilege. And the closer, and that's one reason people will fight for that honor because they want to be close to the king. There was one, I wouldn't even mention how gross it was that back in the Middle Ages that uh, guys would uh, take care of the king. 
and some of his personal hygiene and everything. Ugh. But, uh, but they fought for that position because they could be close to him, but then they would have other people coming to them. You know, there was power. Well, I want to be close to my Lord, not for all that because he's perfect, but I want to be close to the power. Not that I have it, but I want to exalt the power and, uh, and that he could use me in some way. Lord, if you can just use me. And there again, I realize that I don't have any power without you in the first place. So that dependent power, that dependent on God's power. So I hoped on your ordinances. It is your word that's given me confidence. So I've seen you do, do things in the past. And so we see trust and confidence as hope. And then we see now, then we see now commitment. Notice the I wills, five different I wills. And you notice that last one should be uh, E, not D. And I spent an hour trying to straighten that out on my computer and almost was late to church tonight. But uh, there again, he says, I will keep your law continually. And so that's verse 34. And notice he says, forever and ever. I'm in it for the long run. I'm in it for the rest of my life. I'm not planning on giving up. So I will... Uh, keep your law continually. In other words, not continuously. Continuously is here and there. But always. Continually is just never stopping. Continuously means here, there, you know, whatever. And so uh, I will serve your, uh, your law, uh, keep your law. And of course, keeping the law is obeying it. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Christ Jesus, but to trust and obey. So I want to, I want to be, uh, to, to, know, uh, to know your law, and, and I want to be able to obey it. And that's, so Lord, there again, it, it comes from your power. And then uh, notice he says, um, and I will walk at liberty. And this is a good concept. If I walk at liberty, there's freedom. We have this idea that if I follow the Lord, it's just going to be so tough out there and oh, it's just going to be so hard. Well, if I follow the Lord, shouldn't there be a joy about it? Shouldn't there be a freedom? Like I said, one thing that kind of got me going to church as a teenager um, from an unsaved home was I went to a couple of things at church and I had a ball with a lot of different people, older folks and younger folks and everything. And I went home and I said, you know, don't have to worry about being in trouble. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and I was with, you know, I lived on the rough side of town. Uh, well, was rough, well, no. I, I was a, no, I was a typical lower middle class teenager, you know, that from an unsafe home. And um, I had my evil influences. But it was just so good to be around people that, now, once you get into a church, you will find there are bad things in it. But at the time, it, was really, it really attracted me. And of course, it still does because the good way outweighs the bad. And you'll always have people that will not live up to what you think they should be or whatever else. But my, uh, I want to walk at liberty. I want the freedom. You know, I sure am glad that there are certain sins I've never experienced. I like what, uh, back uh, years ago, I sponsored a 
men's retreat. And we'd have somewhere 20, 25 churches from the Gulf Coast area, from uh, Mississippi to uh, Northwest Florida, uh, Panhandle of Florida, all the way across to Louisiana, uh, uh, Alabama, Florida, and Mississippi. They'd come to it. And we had a, an evangelist by the name of Pete Rice. And Pete Rice had children that were, I mean, he was talking about being in school. And uh, he, they were going to, they knew the last name, but uh, he didn't, you know, when they said, what's your testimony? He said, your testimony, my dad was a preacher. He was an evangelist. We went all over the country and I just grew up in a Christian home. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, that's just, I grew up, I had good parents and all that. Well, there was other guy, he, he said uh, he was, he'd been saved from a life of drugs. And he went into all the different things that he had been in. But God marvelously saved him. And that's great. They said, I had such a boring testimony compared to that guy. And he got the position because all I had was a boring testimony. I said, that's what I want my kids to have is a boring testimony. That's the best testimony. You know, just grew up. I didn't come off drugs or didn't, you know, come out of a life of horrible sin and all that. Now, those who do, we praise the Lord for it. I've had people I've talked to you before about uh, I've had families, and I, once you start talking to them, where did you meet? We met in a bar. <laughs> oh, okay, you know, or these different things happened. And so sometimes you learn not to ask the questions until later on when you get to know them a little better and let them volunteer. <laughs> so, but, you know, you're getting people from all kinds of life that are coming in. And so uh, praise the Lord for those testimonies, fantastic testimonies. But I would much rather have a boring testimony. Wouldn't you? And so, uh, unfortunately, most of us don't have boring testimonies. I didn't have one. My kids can or, or did or whatever, you know, it's one of those things. But then again, they don't want to be put up on a, spe- a pedestal either because they could probably tell you some things they did wrong because we're all sinners. And so it's uh, um, just one of, the, one of those things. So he says, Lord, I want to walk at liberty. I want to know that, I mean, that I'm free from these things. I've never had to experience them. Or if I have, you've helped me overcome them, and they are in a distant past now. I'm free from the bottle. I'm free from the drugs. I'm free from the lust. I'm free from, you know, those old bad friends. I've got victory over it. There's something about that that sets us for the, and what does he tell us? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you miserable. No, you shall know the truth, and it'll make you unpopular. You shall know the truth, and it will make you or set you free. Oh, Lord, help me to have the freedom of your grace. Help me to have the freedom from sin and from fear of others finding out and the shame that comes along with it. I was... uh, it was one of those talk shows again. I turned on that 1440 uh, every once in a while, and some guy was talking about the sins that he'd come from, and he said, yeah, really, if you get off into pornography and you're going to all those things, oh, you can be a porn star, but boy, it marks you the rest of your life. And I'm going, praise the Lord, I've never been one of those, you know, or whatever. 
But you know, you can just imagine the shame that would come from, and the uncertainty and everything else that would come from that glamour. And we're talking about, this guy was more Hollywood than he was porn star, but he, he, he equated it with porn star being from Hollywood. I'm going, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I'm glad I wasn't a Hollywood star. And so, uh, again, and how many people, about every two or three months, I mean, or two or three weeks, hearing about so-and-so left Hollywood because they wanted to get out of the place, or they left, uh, you know, SoBiz or some, wherever they were living because they want to get out of it. They're just so corrupt, or politics sometimes, unfortunately. But uh, they just want to be free. Well, Lord, help me to the freedom of never getting into it in the first place. Um, and there's something about that. So he says, I will keep your law continually because I want to walk. And walk, walk is what? Remember, walking is a lifestyle. You do things, you put one foot in step in front of the other because you're not even thinking about it anymore. You're just making the right decisions and it leads into a path, it leads into a trend. And it's just a direction that you're going. And so you want to walk at liberty uh, because it's your word that gives us freedom. That's John 8, 32, uh, that uh, I have come that you may have life and that you may have, have it more abundantly. And then notice in the next passage, or in the next verse, in verse 46, he says, I will keep, or I will speak of your testimonies before kings and will not be ashamed. Now, of course, this man must have been before royalty, but think, can you think of anybody in the Bible that did that? Remember Elijah? Remember uh, Daniel? Uh, these guys, they would go before the royalty with all that pomp and circumstances, and they said, thus saith the Lord. John the Baptist, even Jesus. Now, it's interesting about Jesus, because, uh, of course, Pilate wasn't a king, but he was a dignitary. But when he went before King Herod, he didn't even open his mouth. And boy, that was speaking volumes in itself because when a king asks you a question, you're to answer. And if you don't, that's an insult. He insulted the king without saying a word. Remember, he opened up. Oh, he was wanting to find out. Oh boy, I want to find out what you, you know, all, all these tricks that you can do and all these uh, miracles. And the Lord had such a disdain for him because he'd killed John the Baptist uh, that he wouldn't even, wouldn't even talk to him. And who... Who was king over whom? He was the king of kings. And he didn't even recognize, or he, he really put down a king on earth. And so, but there again, um, you know, um, Benjamin Franklin used this. And he said, he's talking about concept and about how that, uh, you know, if you keep the truth, and of course, Benjamin Franklin is one of those strange men in history who had a lot of wisdom and a lot of Bible knowledge and even liked some of the world-famous preachers that were his friends, like uh, George Whitfield. And yet, when I read his writings, I cannot see any testimony of grace in his life. He had a great... Uh, but he said he took one of the... Of course, he was known for his sayings and so forth. But he said, you know, uh, one, there's another verse about the wisdom of, and that uh, I will speak before kings. He says, well, I've been before the king of France. I've been before the king of England. And he went down the list of people because he had done, you know, God's word, had spoken God's word, or that he had observed God's word anyway. And yet he lived a, a profligate life. And he lived with a woman, common law, and all, and all kinds of things. His son hated him. 
and all that. He had him out, out of wedlock. And he was a strange man. And yet he fulfilled that very past, you know, the very idea that I'll speak before kings because of me keeping God's word. And so, uh, but that's one time it did, you know, maybe God used that just to, to prove his word. But uh, we see that he says, I will keep your command, I will walk at liberty. I will speak of your testimonies before kings and I will not be ashamed. Folks, I have to admit, I get intimidated about being a pastor sometimes in a room full of ungodly people. What do I say? What should I do? And if I do that, I know you do too. Because there's nothing, you know, there's no temptation. We all have the same weaknesses. And so there's been times that I have been, you know, what do I say and what do I do? Uh, and how do I, and sometimes I've been afraid. It's not easy. Now, do, should I, but now, so, but the main thing is I want to do it with dignity and honor. So if I am going to speak the word of God, then I don't want to be like these people that, boy, I mean, there again, you, people peg them immediately. They know that they're full of hot air. I don't want to be a Jim or Tammy Baker or, you know, some of these other people. And so, Lord, help me to be dignified, but yet help, help me to be bold around other people. Anybody have that problem? Or is it just me? I got a room full of very bold people in here. No, we all, we all have that problem. And so, but it takes courage. Now notice the two, the two last things and we'll finish. Oh man, this was going to be a shorter one tonight and I'm going longer. So Sorry about this. But um, notice he says the things he loves. I will speak of your testimonies before kings and not be ashamed. Uh, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. There's the love. So you have, uh, you trust, which is your faith. You have your hope. And here's your love, the love of God, the love of uh, his word. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Uh, because, and if you love somebody, what will you want to do? You want to spend time with them. You know, you want to, you'll sacrifice to, to be around them. It's like that old letter the guy wrote to, to his girlfriend. Oh, I love you to the, to the stars fall. I love you to the ocean. Oh, well, the, the tides will rise no more. P.S. Uh, I'll be over tomorrow if it doesn't rain. You know, it's one of those, you know. Uh, no, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to practice it. So uh, he says, uh, I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. I want to spend time in your word. Verse 48, my hands. The idea of lifting up your hands is, what do you do? When you lift them up, you don't lift them up down like this. You lift them up like this. Why? You want something. You're wanting something from God. And so he says, my hands will I lift up to your commandments, um, which I love. There again, understanding. I want to know, the, Lord, you say this, but help me to put it in power in my life. I mean, cause me, yes. And uh, help me to understand that underlying knowledge and that underlying power that's in your word. I mean, help me to understand what you're doing. You reveal yourself through your word, so help me to understand you and your ways. And so he says, and I like what Bridges, a uh, man named Bridges, another commentator says, here's an older man or uh, an older commentator. Um, he says, 
Why then is the Bible read only, not meditated on? It is not loved. We do not go to it as a hungry man to his food or the miser to his treasure. The loss is incalculable. In other words, when we don't meditate on the word, we're, we are the losers. And the world's the losers because the power of God's not flowing through us. So, oh my, as we meditate on his word, let's ask God to give us understanding and grace to follow it. Okay, that's one of my shorter ones. Which is turned to, that's why uh, I said that we're going to go through Psalms. We're going to pick two or three of them at a time. And I spend more on eight verses than I have on some of these. that have been 32 verses or whatever else because it's just so full. And I never, and I have to, I'm, I'm sad to say that I've never really studied Psalm 119 like I have now. And the more I study it, the more I say, how could I have not studied it? It's the biggest chapter in the Bible. Why didn't I really get into it and meditate and love it? And so it's, I want to know more than just knowing. I want to understand why I know it and what God means by it. And this way we all should be, shouldn't it?